0: It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, when we start our businesses and our companies and stuff like that, marketing is a big part of it, right? We got to get the word out there about what we're doing and the goings-ons of our company. But what if I told you there's a next phase that's happening that that's already kind of started, but it's really about to go into the next realm of marketing. We want to get ahead of that, which is why we have one of the best marketer marketing minds in the world today here on the show he is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer and President of Healthcare at Mastercard and he's also the author of Quantum Marketing Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. He is Raja Raja Manar. Raja, how are you good sir? Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you, Dominic. And thank you for having me on your show. And thank you for your very kind words. Oh, Much
0: appreciated. No worries. No worries. Uh, you know, and we have the book quantum marketing and startup nation. Uh, if you're ready to purchase that book, that book is available. Now we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you listen to the replay on the podcast, uh, it, it's an amazing book. And I definitely want to uh, dive into it. Uh, with you, Raja, for sure. Uh, but one of the things I've been asking a lot of people before we kind of get started is that, you know, uh, a lot of things have been happening over the past 12, 13 months with the pandemic and stuff like that. And I'm just just curious, you know, from a business, from a, a professional or personal standpoint, what's one of the biggest lessons that you've taken from the past 12 to 13 months?
1: So I think the one or two big lessons, I would say, number one, uh, is I think life actually could be reprogrammed, work life as well can be reprogrammed very differently. Uh, And I think pandemic literally pushed us into that corner to be able to see. Like, for example, when I look at my uh, travels pre-COVID, I used to be on the road for almost 230 days to 240 days every single year. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the last one year, I have been on the road for probably less than a week.
0: <laughs> R- right. Right?
1: And nothing has fallen apart from the point of business results or trying to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. So the question is, why are we are traveling so much? Can we really do things remotely well enough to not lose momentum? So I think that's one huge learning where I think virtual is going to be a big part of work life going forward. Absolutely. The second thing at a personal level, what I saw is that, you know, I and my wife, both of us, have signed up to take some uh live yoga sessions or training sessions from India. Okay. And uh doing it on iPad. And what I found is that this is something which is absolutely amazing. Uh what it does to your state of mind and to your state of your body. And when I was checking around, a massive number of people do not do anything to focus on their health. Mm. And when you see the statistics in the United States of uh, the lack of well-being, particularly, for example, mental health issues that are going up like crazy, I think there is an opportunity for everyone, and particularly, I would say, folks who are in the startup world, they focus single-mindedly on work to the neglect of their health and well-being. So they have to be really focused on that. Right. And this is something which I have been telling my team as well. So that's been a very big eye-opener for me to see uh, uh, what's the state of health and well-being in this country right now. It's not great.
0: For sure. No, that that's definitely something. I'll, uh, you know, me you know, included, a lot of startup founders, we kind of sacrifice that part. We I mean, really shouldn't. I? We say all the time here on the show, you can't take care of the business if you're not taking care of yourself. Uh, So I definitely uh, understand the importance of wellness and stuff like that. Uh, So I want to dive into the book here. Once again, it's a fantastic book. It's been amazing to kind of go through some of the things that you talk about uh, in the book. Uh, One of those things you talk about often about this fifth paradigm uh, in the age of marketing, stuff like that. If you would just kind of talk about the previous four that kind of leads up to that fifth paradigm. And what are we experiencing right now when it comes to marketing?
1: Right. See, if you look at marketing as a profession, it was being practiced since antiquity. When archaeologists looked into the ruins of Pompeii 2,000 years back, right, Mm -hmm. there were advertisements that they found, and uh, there were actually evidence of using brand logos and marketing spiel, so to speak, from Song Dynasty in China, which is about you know uh, and all these are like thousands of years old you're talking about right. centuries ago right so marketing historically and traditionally was focused on the product the idea is you have a great product design it very well make it absolutely fantastic price it reasonably package it well to look good make it available easily and people will come and buy now, that was product marketing, and that was the first era of marketing. Mm-hmm. The premise of the first uh, paradigm is that people are rational beings. They think logically, and they make sound decisions for themselves. So therefore, if you give the best product at the right price, available easily, with a wonderful packaging, they should buy it. Now, however, marketers have discovered another field called psychology, sociology, uh, anthropology and behavioral sciences. Right, and what they discovered through that is, Mark, uh, people are actually not rational in their decision making. Mm. They are totally emotional, and they uh, actually can be sold products to or services to without when talking about your product or service product or service seems to be almost irrelevant to the whole process of convincing someone to buy your product uh, or service which is it's quite a revelation to marketers and that was the beginning of marketing 2.0 uh, or as i would say the second paradigm of marketing now this actually necessitated people or brands particularly or brands or companies to connect with consumers emotionally and com- convince them and uh with the advent of radio and television, marketers had the fantastic ability to tell stories in a compelling way, and that worked very well. So this was paradigm two. Now, in mid-1990s, there was a dramatic shift which happened in the field of marketing. The first one was the birth of the internet. Right. The internet changed how people actually live their lives and how you could connect as a marketer to the people. The second technology which came in big at that time was data analytics. So data analytics till that time was in the purview of fields like uh, economy. economists used to have it or scientists used to have data. Marketers never cared much about data, but then they discovered data in the third paradigm. So that was the beginning of third paradigm in mid-90s. The fourth paradigm happened in 2007 with two very significant technological revolutions. Number one was, the launch of iPhone and that ushered in a uh, universal, uh, you know, prevalence of mobile devices that were connected. So literally a mobile phone or a smartphone has become an extension of, of the human body uh, with the person all the time, 24 hours a day. So that was one big change. The second one was the birth of social media. Facebook actually scaled big time in 2007. So together, these two have changed the field of marketing yet again with the birth of things like, uh, mobile marketing, location based marketing, and uh, you have got social media marketing, influencer marketing, and so on. So that was a fourth paradigm. And if you notice, each one of these paradigms was really ushered in by a couple of technologies. Right. And interestingly, now we are at the verge of about two dozen technologies that are coming at us fast and furious right and there is going to be an unprecedented level of disruption in the world of marketing and this is what they call is the fifth mark fifth paradigm and in order to navigate this fifth paradigm you need to reinvent marketing completely because marketing as we know it today will simply not work you need a different approach to marketing altogether and new way of doing marketing is what they call quantum marketing
0: right Right, you know, and, and you know, and, and you talk about these technologies in Chapter Six, the Technologies Big Bang. You really get into those technologies like augmented reality and wearables and and AI and stuff like that. Seems like AI is the big one, though, right?
1: Absolutely. In fact, AI is probably the single biggest enabler as well as disruptor of marketing. Right. Uh, and you know, it's sort of uh, the kind of analysis it is able to do of data from very disparaged sources is amazing and the kind of insights you can get to. And all of this in a few seconds. So it's both speed as well as the uh, quantum of data that it can analyze and come to very powerful insights. Now, AI is also being deployed right now to create music. And mm-hmm. in fact, there is a, a contract now signed between an artificial engine artificial intelligence engine and a record label for producing 20 albums.
0: Wow. You
1: know exactly. And right. and AI is able to create deep fakes, which are these videos. And it's able to write articles along the styles of some people or do paintings, uh, you know, along the lines of some masters like Rembrandt. Now, it is going to change. So how far is it before AI starts creating advertisements? Now, already it is happening for banner advertisements. We at Mastercard are already using it. But the point is that there is going to be a tremendous amount of influence that AI is going to have, have in the field of marketing and how we will have to reinvent marketing. Then you've got augmented reality, virtual reality, wearables, internet of things, smart speakers, drone deliveries, you know, 3D printing, 5G communications, autonomous driving vehicles. It's like a Literally, you'll be like Alice in Wonderland in this new, brave, new world where there is so much of technology that is available at your fingertips. Consumers' lives are going to change pretty significantly. And when consumers' lives change and when businesses change the way they are working, marketers have to change because you have to tap into those new dynamics to be able to succeed and thrive.
0: Gotcha. Well, let me ask you this because, you know, even with all the, you know, the, the new, the fifth paradigm kind of, uh, we're on the precipice and we're, we're diving into that and stuff like that. And I'm a small business owner out there. You know, uh, what are some ways I can kind of stay ahead of the curve? Because I don't want to get left behind because, I mean, let's be honest. You know, if I'm a small business owner and I got maybe 10 to 15 employees, I don't necessarily have the war chest in the marketing budget to kind of, you know, keep up with, uh, you know, the, you know, the AI technology and the the wearable space and stuff like that. Like, So if I'm a small business owner, how am I able to possibly in this fifth paradigm to kind of stay ahead of that curve?
1: So firstly, I think it all begins with a little bit of learning. Okay. Right? You have to familiarize yourself enough to be able, you don't have to become a subject matter expert on each one of these. Gotcha. But you should at least have a little bit of a working understanding. That's number one. Right. Number two, you absolutely need to understand, on the one hand, uh, if you could identify opportunities leveraging these technologies, to get into spaces where large legacy companies can use your services. Mm. Now, legacy companies are typically less nimble and they have got legacy systems. And that's an opportunity for startups to say, okay, these are some, you know, there are these giant companies with massive infrastructure and deep pockets can we actually create something that can empower them and help them and the process scale my own business so that's one kind of a, a looking for opportunity from an application point of view the third one is if they are actually taking a large company head on and competing against them the beauty is this level of technology and data analytics that are happening now completely levels the playing field so that if your your size doesn't matter anymore Because these technologies now do not require massive investments. You can pay as you go because there are so many cloud-based services, even for things like AI and so on, that it doesn't cost a lot to play with these technologies. And you can actually operate with with the same enablement like that of a very large company and compete on equal level. That is a gigantic opportunity for small businesses and startups, which was not there before to the same extent.
0: For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Because I know I know when we hear about all these technology, especially the deep fakes, deep fakes, because uh, we're seeing that being more and more prevalent. And I can only imagine that's going to be kind of part of the, the the new fifth, the fifth paradigm uh, when it comes to marketing and advertising. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Raja Raja Manar, the author of Quantum Marketing, Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. I wanted to ask you this, Roger, because, you know, I I thought something that was interesting in chapter nine, all the senses, you talk about this idea of a sonic branding, and I want to read something here really quickly. It says, quote, one big leap in how we will leverage sound in the fifth paradigm is to create the equivalent of a visual brand logo and design system in the audio space. We call it sonic branding. There would be a whole series of sounds that would come to uniquely define and distinguish a brand, end quote. So kind of talk about, you know, more in depth about sonic branding and how companies can leverage this uh, in their businesses and in their, you know, uh, their uh, marketing uh, departments.
1: Yeah. So if you look at uh, the new devices, which are coming into people's lives, Mm -hmm. most of them don't have any visual real estate. Gotcha. So for example, you look at smart speakers. Like, you know, you got Google Home or you got Alexa or Echo from Amazon and so on. Right. These devices, the primary mode of interaction with them is through sound, which is voice. So you say, Hey, Alexa. And then you ask whatever question and then it answers you. The whole transaction happens through that. Even for example, if you want to purchase something. Now imagine if you are a company with a brand, how will you show your brand? in a voice only or a sound only environment unless you have got a brand in the form of a sound and that's what we call as a sonic brand so just like for example uh if you look at mastercard there are those red and yellow interlocking circles right now that's our logo it's got an extremely wide recognition globally now but that's completely useless when i go to a smart speaker environment so what is the equivalent of that logo That is the red and yellow circles that I have got for the world of the sound. And that's what we have actually worked on for more than two years, to be able to come up with a sound or or a melody, which is going to be hopefully over a period of time, be identified as the sound of MasterCard. Mm. So it's like a 30-second melody, which is pleasant, which is memorable, which is hummable, which is neutral, highly adaptable. So whether you're playing that sound at a football match where there is a lot of energy and noise, or you're playing it at a uh, romantic evening dinner uh, where it is very soft and subtle. Either of these cases, the logo has to be appropriate. The sound, the melody has to be appropriate. And likewise, it has to transcend cultures. So whether I play this sonic melody in India or in uh, China or in Brazil or the United States, it should feel native to each one of these places. So getting a uh, melody that is as universal as that is not an easy thing. And I had to work with a lot of music uh, musicians, music composers, musicologists, and record labels, and so on. And eventually, we had come up with this 30 seconds. In fact, people like, for example, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park. He was one of the co- co-founders of yes, Lincoln Park. right. He was involved in designing one version of our Sonic brand. So we worked with people of very high stature. Of course. And, and expertise. And then we created that melody. Now, the beauty is the melody is played in all our ads, at our events and so on. But a subset of that melody, which is 1.3 seconds long, we call it sonic acceptance sound. So each time when you go and pay with your MasterCard at a shop or you're doing it at your, on your phone or whatever the digital device that you're making your purchases on, What happens is when the transaction goes through successfully, it gives you a sound that signifies to you that this transaction has gone through successfully. So it's very reassuring to the consumer that there is a sense of completion. But that 1.3 seconds actually captures essence of our 30-second melody, and it serves as a reminder for our melody. So today, already 58 million points of interaction in the world already are having a MasterCard uh, acceptance sound being played whenever a transaction goes through successfully. And that's a huge level of scaling. And last year, that's 2020, MasterCard was rated as the best sonic brand uh, across all categories and across all the brands. So we know that it's really moving in the right direction.
0: For sure. For sure. You know, you, you said something in that response just now just reminded me, and you talk about this earlier uh, in the book. It, it seems like a lot of people are gathering a lot of information, a lot of data, right? Where, you know, now, you know, going back to the wearables, like now people you know, can, can see how we breathe and, and, and stuff like that. And it just seems like we're, you know, in the world of marketing, uh, we're, we're gathering more and more information to kind of really pinpoint what I like to call play battleship, uh, when it comes to trying to find that, that target audience. I, I think that's just extremely, uh, fascinating, you know, you know, is, is that, is there any, you know, from your, you know, standpoint, is there any concerns there about like gathering so much information?
1: Yeah, see, I think first and foremost, uh, you have to put yourself, before calling yourself a marketer or as a business person, think of yourself as a normal consumer, normal person. Now think about how much of your data you want to be actually monitored or captured. How do you want it to be used? Do you want to know where it is being used? Can you do anything about it? Can you ask somebody to purge your data and take you off from their databases? Now, as a consumer, as an individual, normal human being, you would want all of this. Now, if that is true, put on the hat of a marketer or a businessman or a businesswoman and then say, now, that's exactly how I want to treat my consumers. Now, the key thing is this is, uh, you know, uh, extremely important that marketers have to realize that as much of empowerment that they can get from data, insights that they can get the, uh, uh, from the data, mm-hmm. it also comes with the responsibility of respecting the privacy mm. of people on one hand, right? And to protect their data because in this day and age where there are so many data breaches, you don't want to compromise consumers because at the end of the day, you're putting them at risk if you don't, if you cannot protect it adequately. So I think there is going to be a significant change in how data will be captured in future, how everything will be permission-based on the one hand. And also, there'll be more and more sophistication where you don't need to really capture so much of data to make sense out of something. There is no need to capture, for example, if you're today capturing 100 elements about a consumer, hypothetically, maybe just by capturing about 15 or 18 elements, you might be getting almost the same results then kill the rest of them. Why do you even need to capture? That could be one kind of an approach. Or there is a different level of anonymization. So you don't know about the consumer anything that is personally identifiable to the consumer, but you have got some kind of tokens. So you say, hey, I want to really target token number one, two, three, four, five, because that person seems to fit the behavioral pattern that my product or service will really appeal to. So it could be that kind of an approach. Now you're also seeing recent announcements by Apple a few months back saying that they are not going to let uh, you know consumers uh, you know be tracked without their explicit permission. Right. And also there is similar kind of a move by Google saying that they are not going to allow third-party cookies, which actually help uh, uh, you know track where consumers are actually surfing and what they are doing to be able to uh, uh, put a pattern. Uh, to target the right consumers for a particular product or whatever and uh, so there are already the industry is waking up to this and i wholeheartedly support uh the approach which is to say the philosophy to say that consumer privacy is sacred you have to respect it absolutely so it is it's privacy safe and then you do your marketing after that
0: For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. Hey Startup Nation, I think we can all agree that 2020 was more or less a dumpster fire, right? I mean, come on, on top of surviving a worldwide pandemic, good friends and family of mine lost their jobs, had their hours cut, or went out of business altogether. Yet many of these same people are talented creatives, web developers, photographers, graphic designers, SEO specialists, and writers with solid, marketable, in-demand skills. So I've turned them onto Hectic. Hectic is an all-in-one business management software built specifically for freelancers who are just getting started or looking to take their freelance business to the next level. Hectic is everything a freelancer needs to get started, from an easy-to-use contracts and proposal builder to client management and project tracking to expenses and invoicing that features click-to-play technology that makes it quick and easy for freelancers to get paid and we all want to get paid startup nation built specifically for freelancers hectic is everything you need to get started visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life now to learn more and start for free yep Adding your first client on the platform will always be free. And if you sign up through gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life, you'll be supporting me and this podcast because who couldn't use a little support these days? Startup Nation. Visit gethecticapp.com forward slash the startup life to find everything you need to start or grow your freelancing business today and put those in demand skills to good use in the way you've always dreamed of. The link is there in the show notes. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. And once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Raja Manar, Chief Marketing and Communication Officer and President of Healthcare at MasterCard and also author of Quantum Marketing, Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. And again, Startup Nation, that book is available now. Uh, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you want to listen, if you want to, uh, if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. So you have a a chapter here, which I thought was very interesting because it starts off with an interesting uh, stat. Chapter 10, Loyalty Transform, where you talk about a very interesting stat about marriage. And you talk about the four tiers of uh, the uh, continuum of the four manifestations of loyalty. Can I talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind, Raja?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So if you look at consumers or people in general, There was a report which came out uh, in bbc.com that I read, uh, which literally made me fall off my chair. What it said was amongst people who were in some form of a relationship commitment, basically they're either married or they're living in, an overwhelming majority of 70% of them have admitted to cheating on their partners. Now, I'm not here to make value judgment about it, Mm -hmm. but what I'm Actually, I was thinking was, look, people know that firstly, there is an implicit or an explicit commitment, either in a marriage or in a living relationship. Number two, there are consequences of not being loyal in those situations. Either there is a reputational damage or there is a financial consequence or there is an emotional consequence to the people that they care about in spite of knowing their commitments and knowing and being aware of the consequences. Still, people are not loyal in their relationships. My question is, if people are not loyal in their personal lives, are we as marketers doing the right thing by assuming that they will be loyal to our brands? Right. Bra- brands are commercial. They uh, rank somewhere very low in the hierarchy of an individual's uh priorities are are areas of focus, so why would we assume and we are spending today as an industry hundreds of billions of dollars around the world on loyalty programs? So what I'm saying is look, we need to reinvent we need to rethink this whole concept of loyalty that if if we if we think that we are running a loyalty program and people are sticking with us because of that, I think we are killing ourselves like I myself if I see. I have got a loyalty program membership with Amazon through Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I have got it with Costco and I'm paying some money for that Costco card. Then I have got with Sam's Club. I also have got it with Kroger's. So I've got four programs that I'm a member of, loyalty programs that I'm a member of simultaneously, right? right? So where is loyalty in this? So the point is, therefore, we should think about what is the new way of approaching how you keep the consumer's with you now you cannot it's not a one-and-done kind of approach it is where you win every single transaction with the consumer which i call as preference management so you have to influence the consumer every time they're making a decision to influence their decision and to convince them to come to you and prefer your brand that is what preferential management is it's not easy but with the new technologies that are coming in It becomes very possible. And that's what I actually uh, was talking about, how you approach the entire mindset of loyalty of consumers. Right. And also the other interesting thing is if you look at one way, when we talk of loyalty, the question, if you ask the brands, brands will say, I want my consumers to be loyal to me. But if you ask the consumers, consumers say, you know what, I want the brands to be loyal to me. Right. So when you talk of loyalty, who, who is supposed to be loyal to whom? Right. <laughs> so it's a completely different approach, right? And this is exactly what uh, you know I cover uh, quite extensively and in a very simple manner uh, in that chapter that you have referenced in my book Quantum Marketing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. It's almost like if, if one entity expects the other entity uh, to be loyal to each other, then nobody's loyal to anybody almost. So <laughs> exactly. it's just like it cancels out. Uh, so no, I, I, I definitely appreciate that. And you said something. Uh, that was just like interesting. Like I said, the whole like just the uh, expect, you know, redefining what loyalty uh, looks like. And I, I think that's fascinating. And, and Startup Nation, when you purchase the book, one of the things that I love about uh, quantum marketing is that it? it's really written uh, like a, a textbook, right? You know, it, it has a playbook step by step of what, you know, things to look for and things of that nature. And at the end of each chapter, they have like these bullet points that Raja uh, puts in there to kind of summarize uh, those chapters. Just kind of talk about, Raja, if you don't mind, why you wrote the book that way, because I think it's very, uh, very important to have it laid out the way that you have.
1: Yeah, see, one of the things I find uh, with many marketers, I serve on a voluntary basis Mm -hmm. uh, as the president of the World Federation of Advertisers. Now, in that role, uh, I have an opportunity to interact with my peers from across the various other industries and companies. Right. Most of the marketers uh, have been trained uh, classically Uh, in the qualitative aspects of marketing. Like, you know, if you talk to them about aesthetics, design, uh, intuition, and motivation, and purchase, psychology, they're fantastic at those. But when you talk of technologies or talk of data, they get a little out of depth. So what I wanted to do was, you know, if I am uh, talking to one of my close friends and trying to, talk to that person not talk down to the person but talk to the person and say hey you know what let me share with you what i know now this is how and then i started sort of writing the whole book in that conversational friendly tone where i am simplifying and demystifying a lot of things and trying to organize it for clarity into buckets so that they understand they can follow otherwise it can be one huge muddle so therefore i As a module, in a modular fashion, people can look at this. Okay, let me understand more about data. Mm -hmm. They can go to the data chapter. If they want to understand about loyalty, they can go to loyalty chapter. If they want to understand about new technologies that are coming, they can go to the new technologies chapter and so on. So that way, this book can become not only a wonderful and a simplified playbook for them for their future of how they design and redesign their strategies and reinvent marketing, It is also a constant companion or a uh, book that they can have with them, uh, you know, for reference, which I think is extremely helpful. And so that was the intention. And before I wrote this book, I actually also, or rather immediately after I wrote this book, I got it validated, meaning I showed it to a few professors at Harvard Business School at Yale and said, hey, Tell me what do you think about this. And if you think there is something not clear or something which is not well organized or if you think there is something which is factually incorrect, let me know. So likewise, I went to many subject matter experts and got them to read each chapter. Like when I'm talking about blockchains, no, blockchains for many people, blockchains and Bitcoin are just one in the same. In reality, obviously, they are not. Block Blockchain is a technology. Bitcoin is one application of that technology. Right. No, th- those kind of things are there. So, how do I demystify and translate that explanation to plain English and then put it? And at the, pro- at the same time, I cannot afford to make any mistakes because this is being sort of documented literally, right? And so, I went, for example, to my peers and my colleagues uh, who work on blockchains and say, hey, read the chapter I have written here. Tell me what do you think? And is it it does it stand the test of being poked uh in a whole set? And then does it stand? And and then I, after getting the validation, that's when I finalized my manuscript and then gave it to the publisher to do it. Right. So it was uh, as much of thought went into organizing the book as much as putting the book itself together.
0: I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. And you were talking about blockchain, which kind of leads me to my next, you know, question here, because I know you're the president. Uh, of healthcare there at MasterCard. And I know one of the many technologies that are kind of making it into the healthcare space is blockchain. Uh, But I'm just curious to just kind of pick your brain. In the healthcare space, what are some innovations or just something in general that's exciting you about the uh, industry that is healthcare?
1: Yeah. See, today, if you look at healthcare industry, it's probably one of the most broken systems that you have Right? It's, it's kind of bad. It's kind
0: of bad from time to time. Yeah. It's
1: absolutely awful. Right. right. And I have spent four years in healthcare industry before I joined MasterCard, and I also serve on the board of directors of a hospital system called Mercy Health System, Bon Secours Mercy Health. It's mm-hmm. a not-for-profit hospital system. So I have seen the healthcare from multiple perspectives, not only as a patient, but also as a... Somebody who worked in a health insurance company, and also as somebody who is, uh, you know, on the board of this uh, hospital system, which is one of the largest uh, hospital systems in the country. Now, because it is so broken, uh, and there is a complete trust deficit, this has to be fixed. Now, if you talk to the insurance companies, they will tell you that the hospitals are overcoding, are upcoding, as they call it, and overbilling them, and fleecing them. That's what they say. If you talk to the hospital, we are spending all our time actually convincing the health insurance companies to uh, pay the claims and they keep on challenging us. So we are spending more time fighting the claims than treating the patients. And if you talk to the patient, this I can't believe I'm really in such a developed country. I I have to wait for months to get my appointments with doctors. So the procedures are, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm being taken for a ride and I'm being fleeced by putting a lot of uh you know bills which i can't understand in front of me and if i don't pay i get reported to the credit bureau right so nobody is happy in the healthcare ecosystem now there is a total absence of trust between the various parties what blockchains do they bring about a level of transparency and they bring about a level of efficiency to the system right when it is properly deployed it requires people on both sides so for example if i'm a hospital and i'm submitting my bills to a health insurance company there can be what we call as a bilateral contract or a smart contract and the smart contract captures all the contractual terms and it executes it in a way that actually brings about firstly it eliminates any middleman so that way more efficiency is brought in and the aspect of okay what did i get paid for has have things been consolidated have been they been Partial rejections of the claims and so on, life gets so much relatively simpler. But it requires the hospitals and the insurance companies to come to the table, and that's not going to happen instantaneously. So, but the solutions are are there of these sorts. And if I go, for example, in the healthcare itself, medicines—you mm-hmm. you want to find out, for example, there are these vaccines which are being administered, right? At you know, such massive scale, they're all being produced in a hurry. Now, there is one aspect of blockchains called provenance, which is to determine what is the origin of a particular batch or of a particular item and where all it has traveled. And at every point where it is uh, of its journey is actually captured on the blockchain. So what happens is, suppose, God forbidding, there has been some issue of contamination in, uh, in some places around the country. Now, how do you know? Uh, how to fix the problem. For that, you need to know where the problem is. So, provenance will actually help you pinpoint immediately which is the batch, where was it originated from, and where did the other uh, uh, items produced in this batch, how did they get distributed, and where all are they available? So, what will happen is you will be able to recall in such an efficient manner. Uh, like today, it might take you days and days Whereas with the blockchain, it will just take a matter of minutes. Gotcha. So it is those kind of applications are there to establish or even in developing countries, not in the United States, but developing countries particularly, there are a lot of fake medicines or spurious duplicate medicines. They're not even real. Right. So if somebody takes a bottle and says, this is actually the vaccine. How do you know it is the real vaccine or not? Right. Again, provenance really helps track the original product and its journey. So by one click, you can say, okay, this is original or this is not original. So I'm I'm oversimplifying it. I know that I'm doing that, but basically to get the message across no. that these are the areas where blockchain can be used in the healthcare industry.
0: No, I I definitely understand that. And like I said, you know, I I think it, it's very fascinating that we're we're seeing blockchain. Uh, really kind of, you know, take hold in the healthcare space. And it just goes to show that, you know, look, healthcare isn't, you know, healthcare is, 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 is big and it's, it's a difficult problem, but that just means there's a lot of solutions there and blockchain is definitely, uh, one of them. So I appreciate you sharing that. For sure. Once again, Startup Nation, we're actually wrapping up with Raja Raja Manar, the author of Quantum Marketing, Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. And that book is available today. We have a link there in the show notes to purchase if you listen to the replay on the podcast. So really quickly, Raja, in the book, you know, you, you start off uh, talking about, you know, when you were a kid and you used to go to. Uh, uh, to shopping with your your mom and stuff like that you know you said that was kind of one of your first lessons in marketing going shopping with mom and stuff like that just kind of tell me what kind of uh, kid were you you know were you a fun kid you one of those kids that kind of got in trouble a little bit what, what was raja as a kid like
1: see i think as a childhood i was a happy child right uh we had very modest financial means gotcha you know, for example, at home, we didn't even have a refrigerator, we didn't have air conditioners, we didn't have a car, we didn't even have a television, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a real modest uh, family environment that I grew up in where it was not the money that made us happy, but it was the relationships in the family. and you know, and uh, like you know, my mom was my teacher literally. Uh, and uh, so the the way you know we uh, in those days were coached or trained by my mom. Uh, particularly and secondly by, 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 by my dad, is to say that, look, you have to study. You have to work very hard. You have to be honest. You should not lie. You should not do bad things, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the right kind of values were instilled and the work ethic to really work hard. There is no free lunch. You'll have to work hard and that gives you good karma. And when the good karma is accumulated, you will get good results. For sure. And everything was translated into some kind of a spiritual thing. Like, for example, uh, you know, in those days, my mom would uh, actually say, you know, uh, the key thing is, even if you don't have uh, money to give someone, for example, you can still help people because if you help them, you will get some good karma. And that good karma will give you good results in your next birth. So, you know, who knew where the next birth is? But then as a kid, you're very impressionable. And I think they did a brilliant job, both my parents, uh to all the four of us siblings, to instill the right values, uh, and said that you have to really, you know, uh, uh do this. So and that's something which has foundationally stood with me for my whole life till now. And uh, I feel very grateful to them. Both of them uh they have passed uh several years back and uh but, you know, I think uh, what they have given me as, and my siblings, the gifts that I have given, their values, essentially. It's not financial gifts or uh, anything of that sort, but very grateful because they have given us what is most important.
0: For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing. And I wanted to point that out because, you know, I, I, a lot of people uh, think that uh, a lot of times success is kind of predetermined for a few. But you, you've kind of shown that, you know. Uh, just being a good person and working hard, you can really succeed, uh, in in big ways like you have. And we're grateful for your parents for giving us you to kind of help us navigate our journeys and stuff like that. So we appreciate, uh, that for sure, Raja. And before I let you go, man, look, there's a lot of stuff going on. People are kind of feeling a little down and stuff like that. If you would just kind of leave us with some lasting words of encouragement to take us out for the day, if you don't mind, Raja.
1: Yeah. See, I would say, uh, three points. First and foremost, I think the light of light at the end of the tunnel is pretty close by. So, thanks to the vaccines uh, that are out there, uh, I, I think we will achieve herd immunity fairly quickly, and that means we should hopefully all be able to get back to uh, you know the uh, lives, the normal lives, if you were uh, sooner than later. So now it's probably a matter of just a few months. Uh, but there is clearly light at the end of the tunnel, and that should really open up a lot of opportunities, and particularly for startups and entrepreneurs. You know, people, the pent-up demand is there for them, and you should tap into that pent-up demand. Government uh, stimulus packages are already coming in. So all this will stimulate demand quite nicely, and I think you should be there to capture that. That's number one. Number two, large companies are looking for help. You should try and reach out to large companies and try to partner with them because what you bring to the table is a fire in the belly, a unique approach, and then something which you are passionate about and you move at the speed of light. Large companies, for them, it is incredibly valuable. And what they bring to the table is the scale, the deep uh, pockets to be able to market the programs or do whatever else it is. I think you should really actively look out for those. And number three, most importantly, i am i have done a lot of research meditation mindfulness exercise these are really critical you know even in the most adverse situations meditation and mindfulness will put things in a perspective and it brings you out of a cloud and then you will see the bigger picture and you'll feel less uh, what you call depressed or demotivated or demoralized Meditation and it, it hardly takes 20-25 minutes every day. And I would very strongly suggest to people, whatever be the meditation course you want to do or you want to do some app or whatever, just take the 20-25 minutes and invest on yourself every day. You will see a profound change in your mindset, and you will be much more calmer, more balanced, and see things in the right perspective. <laughs> and uh, I think you know, at the end of the day, as we say, uh, you know, the clouds cannot last forever. They will absolutely pass. The sunshine will come back. And that's what we should be uh, no, Be ready to welcome back. So that's what I would say. And uh, Dominic, again, thank you so very much for the opportunity. Absolute delight speaking with you. And I hope you can do this uh, again sometime in the future.
0: I definitely look forward to it for sure, Raja. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Once again, we want to thank Raja, Raja Manar, uh, Chief Marketing and Communication Officer at Mastercard. Thank you so much, good sir.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Dominic. Take care and please
0: stay well. Sounds good. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.